From the book of John, we read the words of Christ where he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the, my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Really did feel a lot different today, didn't it? There are uh, at least three uh, differences that, uh, that I noticed uh, this morning. Uh, number one, we do have a very large group that is gone this morning, uh, looking out and even listening and everything. We sounded great today, but uh, don't we always sound better when there's more of us together? And uh, we will miss them who are at camp this week, but uh, we are thankful that they are there. We are thankful that they get to go, and what a wonderful opportunity it is uh, for the adults and the youth to be able to be together in a very unique way uh, for a week. Uh, uh, a lot of folks uh, who are here have probably been to a church camp or two. I know that I've uh, been to a few, directed some, and they are exhausting, so pray for them. But what a spiritually uplifting endeavor and blessing it is to be with those uh, young souls and establishing their faith in God. That is wonderful. The second thing that was very different that I noticed uh, this morning uh, was obviously the way that we partook of the Lord's Supper and uh, then uh, again the way that the trays were passed uh, for our time of giving. Uh, I was thinking about it. I believe, and my wife can correct me if she remembers differently, but I believe that's the first time that her and I have been able to do that in that way. Uh, because when we moved here, obviously we've been doing this because of uh, uh, all of the different things in the last couple of years. And so I believe that's the first time that I held the tray and pushed it over to her and she grabbed the, uh, uh, the Lord's Supper out and, and partook. And it was uh, kind of one of those nerve-wracking things because I'd never done that here in particular and, and not at any place in, a, in a, a long time. I've been to some places where you take that little cup and then you keep that little cup until the end. There's some uh, pews that are designed, in fact, that have a little tiny hole that the, that the cup would sit in. And I've been to some of those places. I didn't see, they're not here, but I was just having a little bit of a panic. What do I do? I set it down and I heard a bunch of other people setting it down. So I thought, okay, <laughs> that's, that's the custom here. And what a wonderful thing it is to share in the Lord's Supper together. I said I did notice three different things this morning. The third thing I noticed is Joseph Luna's little uh, beard he's got going on here. That looks great, man. Keep going. That's fantastic. <laughs> what a wonderful time it is to be here this morning. And I do want to encourage you, although there are some missing, um, 
what we ha- are, are starting uh, today that will at least go through the summer. Um, uh, it, was, it used to be um, the uh, after evening services that young families would meet in the um, fellowship hall and they'd bring their own food and all that and share in a meal together that they bring and they uh, just talk and spend some time together. Well, we've shifted that to after the morning service because a uh, uh, you know, trying to get kids home late at night is just kind of difficult. So we've shifted it to the morning, after the morning service, um, uh, bring your own lunch, go grab something and bring it back. There will be uh, people here. There will be a door to be able to come in and we'll meet together here. That is for everyone and anyone. Um, and as I understand, again, this is something new for, for us being here, uh, typically, uh, maybe not this first one because we're still getting used to it, but typically there's more than enough food that's brought for everyone. And um, unless there were, uh, there was a stuff that was eaten, I noticed there were donuts left this morning from the campers that left. I don't know how good of a lunch that is. Well, yeah, I do. It's not. But you can still do that if there's any left. If you are a guest today, we are so thankful you're here. We are so thankful that everyone has chosen to be here to worship with us, and we hope that you are encouraged and that God is glorified. There are two left. Since January, we have been going, uh, when, when I preach over the I am pictures in the Gospel of John, that Jesus would describe himself uh, with. Uh, there really are more than seven I am statements, but there are seven pictures that Jesus gives. Seven of these uh, paint directly to his nature, who he is, it identifies him and the work that he does. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then next time, Lord willing, I am the vine. When we think about these statements and who they are, it's more than something that Jesus is simply saying, I am, because if you read it in the original, he says, I, I am. It's very forceful and it's very emphatic and it ties to something that happened in the Old Testament where when Moses is before the burning bush and he says, who shall I say has sent me? And God responds from the bush, tell them, I am has sent you. And when God identifies himself, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and the God, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is the statement that Jesus is tying himself to. Jesus is God. He makes that very clear in so many passages. And when we read the gospel according to John, what we are getting is a picture of who God is. Our statement today in John chapter 14 is in an incredibly deep, thick, and dense portion of Scripture. And I suppose we could spend the next several weeks, if not months, studying this together. We won't be. But I hope that what we are able to study this morning uh, will be a blessing to you and will encourage you and, and give you some clues as to digging deeper into this text. At the outset, this is one of Jesus' most controversial statements, especially today. 
I am the way and the truth and the life. It is singular. It is solitary. It is only him. And in a world that is full of religious pluralism, it is an incredibly controversial statement for Jesus to make such a bold claim. Furthermore, it's such a controversial statement because how many times do we read uh, on social media and in the news or hear the phrase, my truth? You can't do that, according to Jesus. He is the truth. We cannot claim to own it. Jesus can only do so. It is a controversial statement because if that statement is true, that means that any other religion, that any other potential way, that any other potential truth, that any other potential um, um, focus, any other shift in life will not Succeed. Jesus' statement, I am the way and the truth and the life, is incredibly controversial in a day that is full of have it your way, make it your own, be true to yourself. But not only is that statement such an issue today, it really was a statement that was an incredible issue back then as well. If you think to a lot of the people that would have heard Jesus as he said this, of course this is in uh, a a, a time where just the, the closest disciples are together, but you have the Jewish philosophy, the Jewish belief that through the, 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 the most focused and, and, and strenuous keeping of the Old Testament law, that that's the way to God. And Jesus says, I am the way. In fact, he says he's the fulfillment of the law. On the flip side of that, you have, just like you have today, it's just wearing a different suit, religious pluralism in the first century, where you have like a place in Athens, remember when Paul was there and he saw all these idols to all these different gods and goddesses, and there was even one to the unknown god? It was naturally accepted back then that there was this big pantheon, just this big group of gods, and you would serve the ones that you wanted to bless you, and you would um, um, uh, try to treat them because they couldn't take care of themselves, and so you would give them favors so that they would in turn give you favors. In fact, when you study history, you find out that the first century Christians were often called atheist, meaning they didn't believe in God because they only believed in one God. This was a controversial statement just like it is today. When Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and the life, there is controversy. So let's dive in. How do we understand this text? Number one, and I think I've maybe repeated this once or twice in the last few months, we need to get the point of the book. We must get the point of the book of John in order for us to get the point of what John is doing in, uh, what Jesus is doing in chapter 14. And we have mentioned multiple times the end of the book of 
John, how John chapter 20, verse uh, 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 30 and 31, that these things are written, these signs are written, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you would have life in his name. All of the signs that Jesus did, all of the things that, that point to, that are signposts that say, this is the Messiah, these are the signs that are being uh, uh, focused on in John, and the purpose of John's writing. But one thing we have not focused on yet, and I want to bring that to your attention this morning, is a repeated theme through the Gospel of John. Look at John chapter 2. In John chapter 2 and verse 4, you have this statement, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. My hour has not come. Turn to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7 and verse 6, notice we read again, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, for I, uh, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Look again just in the same chapter in John chapter 7 and verse 30. John chapter 7 and verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Notice John chapter 2 and verse 4, John chapter 7 and verse 6, John chapter 7 and verse 8, John chapter 7, 30 through 36, Jesus says, my hour or my time has not yet come. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And now look at John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, it's a little bit longer of a reading, but I want you to focus on what's being said here. John chapter 12 beginning in verse 23. And Jesus answered, John 12 and verse 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come. Notice what he said so far, my hour is not yet come, my time is not yet come, the hour is not yet come. And now in John chapter 12 and verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd there, uh, that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. As chapter 13 opens, notice chapter 13 and verse 1. By the way, when we're here in chapter 13 now, the next time our Savior sleeps, it is the sleep of death. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Notice there is an emphasis on the timing and the purpose and the coming of Jesus and when his hour had come. And then again in John chapter 13, verse 31 and following. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. Now, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. Remember his prayer, glorify, and God said, I will glorify, I have glorified and will glorify again. He says, now is that time. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? We must get the book that there is a purpose in how John organized the, the, the gospel of John, how it was written down. It's to show that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life in his name. And what it does, how it does that is by showing his mission on earth, by showing my hour has not come, my time has not come, my time. And then he starts to say, the hour has come, my time has come, and is about glorification. He's already talked a few times in this, my time has come, about his death and how he'll be lifted up and the disciples would remember after the fact that's what he said. But notice it's about his mission. It's about why Jesus came to earth. And chapter 14 is an unfortunate break in the, in the focus of the text. Because chapter 13 and verse 35, when Jesus says that, Peter responds with a question. Notice chapter 13 and verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? 
Notice there has been tension all through the Gospel of John. Jesus is here on a mission. His hour had not yet come, but now it's being described that he's going to be glorified again with God. He's going where the Jews cannot come. He's going where the disciples would not be able to go, he says at this time. And that brings up a whole lot of questions from the disciples. In fact, when you look at this text, look at their questions. Get the book, now look at the questions number two. You have first Simon Peter asking, Lord, what, uh, where are you going? Notice again uh, in chapter 14 and verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Notice Philip's response in verse 8, by the way, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. And then in verse 22, again, you have a question. Judas, not Iscariot, our text says, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I want you to think about the, 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 the tension and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the confusion that the disciples had at this point. For the better part of three years, Jesus has been preparing his disciples to preach the gospel to every nation, and now he's telling them that he's going away. What would that do to you? For those who have little, little kids, has there ever been a time when you need to leave to go run an errand or maybe you have to go on a trip for a few days and your child is a little bit nervous that you're leaving? Daddy, when are you coming back? Daddy, will you bring me something? Where are you going? And the assurity that comes when the parent says, I'm coming back. How much does that mean to the child? The assurance that, that Jesus gives in this section are to disciples who are about to lose their rabbi, their teacher, the one who they call the Son of God. Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? Again, think about it. Why can't Peter follow him uh, when, when, when Peter appears to be so devoted? How can we know where to go unless Jesus is there to, to show us the way? Can, can Jesus just show us the Father to help us? How, how are we going to know you, Jesus, if you're gone? There's tension in these questions. And the disciples have a very real concern about what Jesus is saying. Pay attention to the book. And its overall message. Keep an eye on the questions. But hone in, number three, on Jesus' responses. On how he answers and how he goes through and discusses this. When Simon says to him, where are you going? In chapter 13 and verse 36, Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Jesus then says, 
Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Isn't that encouraging, by the way? How Jesus tells Peter, you were going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, and then immediately he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, I know you're going to deny me, but he doesn't see that as the end. And he knows the disciples are going to leave him for a time, but he does not see that as the end of their faithfulness. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. Notice he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you uh, to myself that where I am, you may be also. In verse 2, you have an interesting phrase. In my father's house are many mansions, um, or in other translations, in my father's house are many rooms. Uh, Just a very brief history lesson, that word mansion used to mean room. And what it meant, uh, especially in that culture, you would have a big family household that for aunts and uncles and grandfathers and grandmothers and brothers and sisters, they would just keep adding on to the house to make sure there's enough room for everyone. And what Jesus is saying here, in my Father's house, there's plenty of room. There is plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And by the way, brief tangent, Jesus isn't saying that he's putting on a hard hat in heaven so that he can build us places to live. The text already says there's rooms there in his father's house. It'd be strange for him to say, there's many rooms, I'm going to go build rooms, or there's many mansions, I'm going to go build mansions. He says they're already there. What was their first point this morning? Remember the focus and the purpose of the gospel of John. Jesus has said, I am not going, not yet, not my time, not my hour. Now he says, it is my hour for this purpose I have come. The going of Jesus is his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That going is the preparation of eternity for us. And now we wait until all enemies have been put under his feet. Is that not what the Bible teaches? Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1 and verse 3 and Hebrews 1 and verse 13. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 13 says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? In Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
Remember the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. It was to die and to raise again and to ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father so that we can have salvation. He says, I'm going so that can happen. He continues on, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Doesn't that sound like 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17? For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And notice the text back in John 14. He says, and you know, verse 4, the way to where I am going. That's the response to Peter. And then you have Thomas. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And this is when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, You will know him, you do know him, and have seen him. Where is Jesus going? To the Father. What is the way to the Father? Through Jesus. In him. Think about this for a moment. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him, the whole story of Scripture is summed up. Genesis through Malachi. Jesus is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1. Jesus is here. Acts chapter 2 through the end of the book, Revelation. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the way that leads to the Father because Jesus is the truth and because Jesus is the life. John 1 and verse 4 in our book, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only begotten son of the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He tells Thomas, if you had known me, literally, if you have known me until now and you still know me, then you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Pay attention to Jesus and know Jesus and you will know what the Father is like. What does God the Father look like? Look to Jesus, His Son. Believe in me, and you will know the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, as you continue reading the text. In verse 12, I am going to the Father. 
I am the way to the Father. I am the truth and the life that leads to the Father. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Notice verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, make myself known, show myself to him. And now Judas, again, not Iscariot, he's gone to betray Jesus. Judas asks a question, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us but not to the world? And here's Jesus' third response. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and will come, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as this world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now... I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus' response, he says, love for him. Love for Jesus is manifested in keeping his word. It's made known in keeping his word. Sometimes we get it reversed. We think, well, keeping his word simply means, well, that means I love him. You know, it's very possible to do all the rules at your work and to hate your work. Anyone ever been in a job that they just can't stand and they follow all those rules, but they still hate the work? Sometimes we get it reversed. Jesus says that love for him is manifested in obedience, in doing his word. Love for Jesus is manifested in keeping His Word. He says, if we love Him, then He and the Father will make their home with us. Jesus went to prepare a place. His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. This place would be such that we can dwell with Him for eternity. One day, one day, He is coming back for us to take us to Himself and to dwell with Him forever. And until then, he says, there is a way. There is a way in which God will dwell with us. And it begins with loving him. And that love is shown in obedience. Look to Jesus and see what the Father is like. You want to know who God is and what he's like? Look to Jesus. Do you want to be with the Father? Look to Jesus. Without Jesus, we can go nowhere because He is the way. Without Jesus, we can not truly know anything because He is the truth. 
And without Jesus, we have no real way of living because he is the life. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul tells young Timothy why he's writing to him, that Timothy would know how to conduct himself in the household of God, the church of the living God. Look at just a few places as we close in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he may be found, uh, and he found any belonging to the way, men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. Look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 9. But when some came, uh, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with, them, uh, with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Look at John cha- or Acts chapter 22. In verse 4, Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. In John chapter, or sorry, Acts chapter 24 and verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And finally, verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias of Tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So closely tied are Christians to Jesus that the household of God, the church of the living God, is referred to as the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that allows one to enter into that house. Through faith in Him, trusting in His Word, which says to live a life of repentance, to live a life of confessing His name, His word teaches that begins by contacting his blood by immersion in water. He is the only way to the Father. No Jesus, no Father. No blood, no remission of sins. But oh, what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that Jesus has so clearly said that He is the way to the Father, that He is the truth to the believe in. 
and that his life can be our life. But it's up to you. We would love to help you this morning. Maybe you do need to be immersed in water to contact his blood, to be forgiven of your sins. Or maybe Jesus in that way and that truth and that life has been neglected in your life and you want to come back and you simply want prayers of the church. We would love to pray for you. Come forward as we stand and sing.